We're back, even if you don't want us back. Sorry. So, yeah, we, we're kind of reeling here. Reeling after that tarot reading. Uh, we discussed in the break, do we... Do we uh, double or nothing. Do we go for a little redemption to close the show? A little tarot card after dark? We might have to... Just to make sure they're, you know, not messing with us. But what if we say, hey, Spirit World, was that real? And it's like, yes, it was. Then we know. Then we don't even have to watch the series. We got a, a nice positive one before we bring our buddy Frank in. Do we have a good spin? A good spin here. Andrew and St. John. St. John's, what's up, buddy? The five of cups may say that the core four isn't going to be great, but that doesn't mean that no one else will step up. Oh, my God. Also, the swords in the back of the the tarot or the spades could mean that even after winning a cup, Dubis is double-crossed and still he, sent out the pasture. Did say... Andrew, you're it, right. Yeah, it does say that he had no... Like, he didn't expect yeah, so his it's demise. Like it wasn't good enough. So one maybe cup. Callie Yarncroak is just like rock star, four rounds. Yeah. Stanley Cup. Doesn't have to be the core four. And then Dubas is expecting a contract, and they're just like, you know what? Maybe it's better off yeah, we're that really we... spinning this one. We move on. Well, there's, in terms of like, as we transition here to real information, we got some interesting tidbits from Frank Valley, NHL insider and president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com on the relationship between Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas. Maybe something that's a little bit more concrete than uh, what we just <laughs> learned in the previous hour. Do we have you, Frank? Good morning. Good morning, guys. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're so, just, you know. <laughs> we're, we had a little exercise in the last hour, reeling a little bit, but now we want to, you know, get ourselves back on track here. But we're reeling a little bit yesterday when we, or over the weekend, when we saw some of your reporting about Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas and how a power struggle is active between them. Uh, what what have you learned or what have you been, you know, focusing in on when it comes to the management with the Toronto Maple Leafs and, and why did it make sense to sort of report on this relationship now? Well, it, it's not anything new, and it's something that people have been talking about for months and months as the season has unfolded. I think that was one of the things that was popping up as I chatted about it on my podcast over the weekend was, you know, people were saying, what, why, why are you saying this now? What are you trying to do, sabotage the Leafs before the playoffs? Like, no, the guys, this has been going on for a while, and the relationship between Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas has been stressed you know, for a year plus, two years, whatever the number is. Um, and, and I don't know that power struggle is quite the way to frame it. Like maybe that's a bridge too far, but I think it's it's really in an odd way actually kind of normal for this setup in terms of president of hockey operations and general manager and that there's a push and pull that exists whether it's the final call on personnel decisions or uh, whatever it may be. And I think it boiled over this summer when it was time for a contract extension for Kyle Dubas and he didn't get one. Mm -hmm. You know, there was, you know, uh, and and part of that too is it comes down to Brendan Shanahan and, and, and sort of living up to what he had said, which was, Hey, like, let, let's try and get an extension done for you. And then that not being possible um, through the board of the MLSE that he wasn't able to get him one. And so after that, I mean, look, how this all plays out, who knows? But that's the backstory is that, you know, these two have, it's been frosty. It's been stressed. That's the best way to explain the relationship. 
It's interesting because how it was framed, or at least how it seemed it was framed over the summer was, yeah, Brandon Shanahan standing behind his guy. He's going to give him the length of his contract. And I guess maybe that is not the case. But just to, you know, kind of clear it up a little bit, the heart of the issue, at least in your understanding, is that there's kind of some meddling. There's some, there's Kyle Dubas maybe doesn't have the autonomy that we maybe thought he had, or there's more of a team effort in making decisions when in reality, the general manager would like to be making those decisions. Yeah. And I think that's the the easiest way to say it is that there's been push and pull at times between those two in the decision-making process. Yeah. I mean, if, it's it's easy to, you know, everything can be self-serving. Every stat can be self-serving. But when you think about things, I remember last year when they were discussing the fourth line and it was like, it was clear that at least Sheldon Keefe wanted to do things one way. And then all of a sudden it was the other way. And he's standing by it saying, hey, this is our preferred lineup. When really it was like he was talking on both sides of his mouth. And there are other little examples here and then where it's just like, well, that's not what you stand for. That's not what we expected you to do. And you wonder how much of a team effort this is and how much of a team effort can kind of hurt you when there's too many people talking. Uh, sometimes the vision of the person who's actually putting down most of the uh, the bricks in place, uh, it, it can, you know... It, it can hurt the structure a little bit. So we shall see. Well, have you have you gotten a sense of that, even just in kind of uh, trying to read through some of the things that Sheldon Keefe has said in the last couple of weeks? Like, it seems like there's been a push and pull between manager and coach, even with just how this Matt and I situation plays out. Well, I'll, where I see it the most is the times where Sheldon Keefe wants to speak his mind and then is muzzled. Uh, I think that's when I, when I kind of... Like, why is he, why he wants to approach things a certain way and then all of a sudden he's not allowed to and maybe there's like a crack of the whip or whatever and he's not allowed to coach in the manner that he wants to coach. But again, with this new... So give me an example. Well, when he was very critical of Matthews and Marner at the start of the year uh, and immediately had to apologize for that and it looked like Marner was like a little upset with it, but without being prompted, the next day Sheldon Keefe comes back and apologizes and wears it himself. And it was like, well, can you really coach the way you want to coach if someone from above you is saying, hey, you can't act like that. You can't represent our brand that way. And I never knew, like I was trying to put it together and trying to figure out why Sheldon Keefe would act that way. And I can't. I before I couldn't separate Shanahan and Dubas, but with your reporting and other things that kind of come up, I'm like, is it Shanahan that's kind of overarching and kind of manipulating a little bit? Because Sheldon Keefe at times seems he wants to go one way, and then at other times it seems like he's not allowed to go the direction that he's that he wishes he could go. Yeah, I don't I don't have any sense of of that with regards to the coaching part of it because I've always just kind of assumed that that manager and coach are connected at the hip based on their history and that they're strongly tied together. And and it does seem that way, right? But it is, you know, is coach. Does, I is, mean, it, to this point it has, like, that's what I've always gathered. But, but there are little moments where it's just like, okay, like, are you on the same page? And I think in those moments, maybe we shouldn't be looking towards Dubas and maybe to Shanahan a little bit more. And, and again, we don't know exactly how this how this plays out, this relationship, but it does seem like there are competing parties within the Maple Leafs and you reporting it does give some credence to that. So it's just more to speculate and, and chew on and talk about. Yeah, I think what it, basically what it says to me, because everyone wants to get into the prediction game and, and the other part of it was why did this come up now? 
it's because the Pittsburgh Penguins mm-hmm. now have an opening at the general manager position, and that's that was the genesis of the conversation. I didn't bring it up out of the clear blue sky. The question was, oh, everyone seems to be pointing towards Kyle Dubas going to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. We don't know what's happening here. We still don't know what's going to happen in Toronto and how this situation is going to play itself out. But my point was, I think there's a possibility that exists where even if the Maple Leafs win a round or whatever the the threshold is that you feel is the requirement to um, have him return and get a contract extension, that maybe that doesn't happen. That maybe even with all of that going on, that there is the possibility still that there's another path here that we're that not everyone is seeing in the full and complete picture at this exact moment in time. Here's another example of, you know, things not exactly lining up or, or red flags going off. When Jed Alexander went in the other night, both Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas said in front of the media, kind of unprompted that it wasn't their decisions individually. And I don't know who else would be making that decision. You know, those are the three figureheads. And two of them said, kind of in their defense, that they didn't make that decision. Not that it really matters, but that's just an example. Uh, I think that comes up every now and then. And it's something, again, to to your reporting, it's worth uh, touching on it just a little bit. Back to Dubas quickly. Um, do you think Dubas would, be, would operate differently? Like material change... If he was allowed, if he was the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins as opposed to the Toronto Maple Leafs, do you think we'd see a different sort of guy in terms of his approach if he was outside the Maple Leafs organization? It's hard to answer. Um, do we perhaps see someone that's more aggressive? Um, and you know, would have made a few different trades or different transactions? Maybe. Um, I, I don't. I don't know how to answer that. I really don't. Like I, I would think that some things would be different, but not everything. Like there's still, and that's that's part of you know what goes on and 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 what um, the best way to frame it is like there's still like most of what's happened has still been I'd say ninety percent of what's happened has still been his call. It's just sort of the other ten percent of it that you know either things that he'd like to do or things that didn't happen or whatever it might be. Some things that did happen that maybe he didn't you know, didn't have the total autonomy on that. I think maybe you look at and say, okay, maybe some of these things would be a little bit different. All right. Let's stick with the Pittsburgh Penguins then. Um, Not really related to the Kyle Dubas conversation yet, but they did clean house a little bit. Um, Ron Hextall and Brian Burke were fired last week um, before the end of the week. Where did those two a fail and B, where do they go next? Considering they have, you know, a couple of years left of Crosby, Malkin, Latang, a long time with Latang actually. Um, how they try to, you know, bridge the past and the future as well. It's a really tough spot for whoever's stepping into that team next because of the way that they're locked in. And I think where they failed is, um, uh, personally, I, I don't know that there was enough outside the box thinking like did they push it in forward in a manner that um you know could have put that team in a different spot given that team a different chance to win and and like i'll give you a really small example but even just the way that they approach this trade deadline so they sign all of those guys last summer to extensions they basically run the entire team back and and they i think they made some really critical errors in contract extensions with those guys, it's not just 
I, I understand what they tried to do. They tried to push the AAV down by, by extending the term. And in the end, all they're really hurting is themselves. Like they think that the, you know, the cap savings in the moment are, are helpful. And, you know, three years from now, they're incredibly damaging. Um, and so that was part of it. But then, you know, even just so you, you do all that last summer and then you get to this deadline and the team is kind of waffling. They're in a playoff position. They had been in the playoffs basically the entire season to this point. And they come out and make a, a declarative statement. You know what? We're not trading our first round pick. Like, first off, why would you speak in an absolute like that? Second, what does the first round, how, how's that first round pick going to help you given the next, the competitive cycle that you've now locked this team into for the next number of years? And more to the point, was there someone else that you could have traded for a bigger piece that would have fit now and then also for the future? So I'll give you one name that I thought of that I was like, okay, you could really make a case for that making sense and working. And it was someone like Timo Meyer. You plug him on the wing with, with either Crosby or Malkin, a beast of a guy who's right in the prime and heart of his career and you trade for him, and maybe maybe you can make the argument and say they didn't have the futures to get it done. They didn't have the prospects. And maybe you'd be right, but they should have been ultra-aggressive at that point saying, Kimo Meyer can help us right now this season, and he can help us remain competitive for the next five years, make us a better team than if we didn't have him. And, and they would have had the cap space to re-sign him. So there just there wasn't, to me, that sort of next-level thinking that could have helped this team you know, at least maximize the spot that they were in right now. We're talking to Frank Saravelli, NHL Insider, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. Okay, so Pittsburgh making some major changes, Washington, Columbus, the Ducks, a lot of a lot of faces out the door. Was there anything that surprised you out of uh, Blue Friday? Did we lose Un- Frank? Oh, yeah. Sorry, we lost you for a second, Frank. Go ahead. Yeah, no problem. I was going to say maybe the one that I, I kind of was curious about and wasn't entirely sure that it was going to happen was Brad Larson in Columbus. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking at some point the Blue Jackets would be making some kind of change. I just wasn't convinced that it was going to be the coach. I uh, definitely didn't think it was going to be the GM, but, you know, maybe there's some other staff changes still to come in Columbus. Uh, but for a team that had some expectations this season after spending $80 bucks to go that far in the wrong direction. I was surprised that there really wasn't more talk about the Blue Jackets. So two uh, vacancies there with Anaheim and Columbus, uh, two teams that are firmly entrenched in the Bedard sweepstakes. Do you, what sort of approach do you think those two teams will have? Is it wait and see on Bedard? Do you get the head start on that? Like, how do you think Columbus and Anaheim uh, approach their job openings? It's a really good question. I personally, I I would wait, see what happens in the lottery, see what your expectations are for next season and beyond. Because I think if you do have Bedard, first off, you open yourself up to a whole different class of candidates. And what I mean by that is you're going to have some really awesome coaches wanting to come take that job. Um, you know, wanting to come in and, and be a member, Todd McClellan, for instance, going to, to Edmonton to coach the Oilers once they won McDavid. All those things happened after the fact, after they already won the draft lottery. And so not only do you open yourself up to a different class of coach, but you also probably in some ways change the timeline of how you're building this thing. 
in Anaheim, I think it speeds it up consistently or it, uh, in a considerable way, I should say. And then in Columbus, you know, I think it instantly vaults you like real close to playoff contention next season to the point where you're looking for a coach that can help put you over the top. And it's a totally different discussion. So I understand the, the want or push to, to get someone in there now but it really might make sense for a whole host of reasons to wait until after the draft lottery on May 8th. How about the Calgary Flames and Daryl Sutter? Is there a chance that uh, they part ways anytime soon in the next coming months or are they give it another go? Uh, there, There is a chance that they part ways. I think there's a lot going on. The Flames conducted their exit interviews um, late last week and then they had their staff exit interviews, I believe, on Friday. I think there were some ongoing discussions between um, GM Brad Tree Living, who does not have a contract, and Flames owner Murray Edwards over the weekend as well. And so uh, they're wading through the muck on a, a whole bunch of things, and the coaching staff is one of them. A lot of other uh, front office executives who did not have a contract, including Don Maloney, uh, Craig Conroy, who is assistant GM and others, they all received contract extensions in the last uh, couple weeks. Uh, so that part of the team is in place, but there was some real friction and frustration there this season between Daryl Sutter and just about every, you know, part of that Flames team players, uh, others, you know, coaches on the staff, uh, equipment guys, trainers, front office people. Uh, he pushed just about every button possible, and some of them were certainly uh, moved in the wrong direction. I think there's a considerable, a considerable group of players that are saying, you know, I, I don't know if I want to do this again, and I don't know how that impacts the decision-making process for the Flames, but um, you know, sometimes you say the, the inmates can't run the asylum and it'll be curious to see where they come out on, on that part of the decision-making process. But there's a lot in flux right now with the flames. And it, it starts too with, with who's running the show, who's going to be the GM for the next number of years. If it's not going to be Brad tree living, then that decision is going to go to the next person. Uh, let's spin it forward here to the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs, which of course begin tonight. Uh, we've got the ones and fours in the Eastern Conference and the twos and threes in the Western Conference in action. Uh, we want to ask you about the Lightning because the since January 1st stats with them, not all that impressive. Uh, where do you, what's your final read on them heading into the postseason? Are they what they once were? Are they even close to what they once were? How powerful is this force still? It's, it's really hard to answer because I also don't think they put a lot of stock into their numbers since January 1st or March 1st or whatever it might be because they're so focused on the playoffs having been there so many times and knowing that their position was locked in that I do think the team that you're going to see, you know, starting, you know, when the puck drops is going to be a big difference from, you know, the team you saw over the last few weeks that was kind of floating at times. Um, They have the capability that said, uh, I think this current iteration of the lightning is not nearly as good as, you know, last season or the season prior, because the fact is you have to make changes. You know, you miss an Andre Palat, you miss a Ryan McDonough, you miss a whole, you know, group of players that have to move on. Uh, But they still have the core pieces in place to be incredibly dangerous. I think if you're a Leaf fan, 
and you have to play the Tampa Bay Lightning at any point over the last four years as they go for a fourth straight trip to the Stanley Cup final, that this is the year you want to get them. This is the matchup that you'd want. Um, And I think logically, and when you look at the data and everything on paper, you know, the clear answer is the Leafs have the advantage, that the Leafs are the better team, uh, that they have all the numbers to support, um, you know, picking the Leafs. I just keep going back to, and for someone that has picked the Leafs at every point over the last few years, I, I don't, I can't do it again. I can't, um, you know, whether it was the Columbus series or Montreal or the lightning there's, you know, when you watch that Amazon series again, and I, I did it in the last few weeks to see if I could pick up on anything that, that comment of, you know, the demons are everywhere. They're under their beds. They're in their cars. It's everywhere that the Leafs go. This is the exact, like, Sunday night, last night as you were going to sleep, that's the exact moment in time that those demons start to come out from your bed if you're a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Oof. they got to slay those. And until they do it, I'm just, I can't, you know, it happens once, you know, shame on me. It happens three times, shame on you. And so I, I, I understand logically at every turn why – I should be picking the Leafs and why they have the advantage. I'm just, until I see it, I haven't seen it. The demons are also in the tarot reading, uh, (laughs) which we just did for the Leafs, and it was not particularly kind on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, Okay, so Oilers. Do you see them as the team with the widest range of outcomes? Like, I I can see a scenario or a world where they bow out in the first round because LA Kings are pretty good and a tough matchup for them, but I could also see them winning the Stanley Cup. Do you see it the same way? Yeah, um, I'm I'm less convinced. I, I had been saying the last few weeks that they, I thought the Kings would be a tough matchup for them, and that was really because of how well the Kings had played sort of right after the trade deadline. They went on an absolute heater, and Korpisalo was playing well, and Gavrikov was clearly a strong addition. And is, this first-round matchup isn't going to be a cakewalk, but the Oilers are the hottest team in hockey since March 1st. They had an 881 points percentage, 18, 2, and 1. It's an incredible mark. And then if you stretch it back even further, since January 1st, they have the second best record in the league, only to the Boston Bruins. And we know the historic run that Boston was on. So they've been one of the hottest teams. I think what they have going for them is different than they've had at any point during Connor McDavid's tenure there, and that they have a way more complete team around him. Um, you know, they basically have four 100-point scorers. Matthias Ekholm has come in and exceeded even every expectation that the Oilers had for him. Their goaltending has been fine and stabilized with Stuart Skinner. And that power play is such a big boost. McDavid, just going back to the All-Star weekend, had a conversation with him on the beach in Florida at Media Day, and he said, that the turning point for their season was a blowout loss to the Kings in January. And since then he, he felt that they figured out that this was like only three weeks after the fact, he felt that they had found a way to, to play at even strength, that they had unlocked some secret to success. I, I don't know what it is. And he didn't tell me, but I, I've, I've been thinking about him saying that ever since then. And the record speaks for itself. 
And so they feel pretty comfortable. And if you watch the last two games that they played against the Kings recently, they were able to pick through the the game that the Kings tried to play and, and slow it down. And I think that bodes really well for success. So I think not only do they handle the Kings, but I have them going to the Stanley Cup final. Well, with that being said, we are going to do our own predictions um, in our next block after we talk to you, Frank. So is there a series that's the hardest to predict when you look at uh, the first round? Um, I think there's a couple really tight series. I think the hardest one for me to predict is the Rangers and Devils. I, I, I didn't really have a strong feeling one way or the other uh, about both of those teams. And I think a lot of people view the Devils as the underdog. Uh, mostly because of the star power that the Rangers have, but the Devils have home ice and were the better, you know, slightly better team during the regular season. Uh, So I have the Devils in seven, Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I I don't feel really strongly one way or the other. Do you want me to read my picks? Oh, if you'd like to, sure. We're doing that next block. Uh, Just steal them all. Okay. I got uh, (laughs) Bruins in five, Canes in six, Lightning in seven. Oh, boy. Woof. And Devils in seven. Okay, what do you got? I have Devils in seven for sure. I I really like that one, and it's going to be a fun series, so I kind of want it to be seven games. (laughs) I think that's the wide range of outcomes, too. I think new, Mm. like, that's an interesting series because I think the Devils can... All the New York mutants all the New York mutant hockey fans come out. To play. Oh yeah. And I, I think the devils can win that series, but I don't think they have much of a ceiling otherwise, but the Rangers, I can see them in a conference final easily if they get mm. through the Devils. So that's a, that's an interesting one. Um, last one for you here, Frank, I oh, guess I actually no. what's, what's your yeah. Western conference? Oh, you, you want the West? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oilers in five abs in Ooh. four golden Knights in six and stars in six. The abs in four, not a believer. The Seattle Kraken. Wow. Yeah. No, I'm not a believer in the Kraken, and you get your waste of eight days, a participation trophy. What was your last one, sorry? I think that's the most... Knights and six, and then... Dallas and six. Stars oh, and Dallas six. and six, nice. Okay, yeah. I was just writing them down. Uh, quickly, Frank, uh, you probably put your award ballot in this weekend, unless you're an eager beaver and did it beforehand. Uh, hardest award pick to make for you this season? NARS trophy, not even close. I actually still haven't sent my ballot yet. It's sitting right here in my inbox. Uh-oh. Ready to pull the trigger. But are you, are you allowed to indulge thing, us on the, uh, the point of controversy there? Like your mental battle? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to like, cause it's going to become a conversation. And I've had this conversation with a lot of people around the game in the last week, as I've been sifting through it, people I trust managers, coaches, players, uh, other media members. I just, I'm struggling with that. The definition of the NARS trophy quote, all around defenseman. Mm. And I just I don't think Eric Carlson is the all-around defenseman. I think the season he's had has been magical. I think the 100 points that he's put up are insane and mind-blowing numbers. But for a guy that doesn't play on the penalty kill at all, I, I, how could you possibly be all-around? And that's the part of the definition that I struggle with. You know, For that percentage of time on the ice that he's not playing and sitting on the bench, while others are significant contributors to their teams, and for all the you know the half goals against that Hampus Lindholm and Adam Fox and others have you know been on the ice for 122 for Carlson, 54 for Lindholm, and 48 for Fox. Like it, it's a big difference. So was Carlson that percentage much better than everyone else offensively? 
and at five on five, I, I think it's really close. Mm. So then the question is, if I don't have Carlson in the number one spot, where is the appropriate place to put him in my top five? Or should I make the more rigid statement and not have him in my top five at all? If I don't think he's all around, that's the part I'm wrestling with. Do I put him at three or five or four, somewhere in that range? And, you know, you could be listening and say, Frank, you're absolutely galaxy braining this. You know, this is not that hard. I just, it's the definition. And to say that those other guys, 75 point seasons didn't have great offensive years either, I think is a mistake. I also think the Sharks played with a totally different risk profile than anyone else this season. More even strength points than Connor McDavid. Or... Doesn't play on the uh, on the uh, penalty kill. It is very very tough, and I and I get what you're what you're going through too. Because like if you if you can't put him number one, can you put him in the top five? Because if you even consider him at all, he certainly seems like he should win it based on like the you know then, the record breaking nature. Your own argument if you put him somewhere else. Exactly. Uh, I guess that's what everybody will be wrestling with. It. Well, I don't have to vote. He is the you know major major favorite to win it. So we we'll, we'll see if the uh, the votes shake down. Uh, that way we'll be a week into the Stanley Cup playoffs by the time we talk to you next Frank so we'll have lots to talk about next week we appreciate the picks we appreciate the insight we'll chat again next Monday enjoy it guys take care it's Frank Cervelli NHL insider and president of hockey content dailyfaceoff.com some very interesting stuff there with Kyle Dubas do you want to weigh in um in what sense well if there is a divide between Shanahan and Dubas uh, we're in, we are learning about it at an interesting time. I think it does get like it, there's some aspects in which it makes a lot of sense because we have seen things over the course of well, this tenure where it's the like the points that you brought up. That's about, a little weird, right? About the coming into the media with Keefe early mm-hmm. on in the season. We talked about that and we started the conversation really early on about what did that mean? But then it kind of went quiet for a while because they were and, having a lot of success and it wasn't a storyline. Now, when the stakes are the highest that they've probably been ever and the pressures on the Maple Leafs specifically from the top down and this core four and all the pending things that need, might need to happen in the off season or the season after, it does make sense that this is heating up. It just sucks that it's heating up when there's a lot going on on the ice that needs to be focused on. Yeah, and, and, and again, I, I really don't think, you know, the, the team is, you know, dialed into oh, potential course. beef and they probably already kind of know that there's there's some competing interests within the franchise. They shouldn't need to have an external motivation to win this series that and I matters. Will, I will say the players, I think they really, really like Kyle Dubas. And if that means anything, maybe it helps. But we've always been like kind of dancing around like, who do we criticize for this? Who do we criticize for that? And I think the entire time we've been running under the assumption that Dubas and Shanahan move in lockstep, that they insulate each other, that they help mm. each other out because they're in this together. Maybe we're learning that they're a little bit more separated than we once thought and that things we may have criticized Dubas for Shanahan's doing things we may have criticized Shanahan for. Dubas is doing. I don't know where this is all going to end up, but if there's one thing that's interesting about Dubas potentially moving on, because if I do think he moves on, I think it's bad for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, I frankly think that he is the right person to build this hockey team. If he does move on, what sort of general manager will he be? Will he be different? Will he be able to go even further in his direction? Will he be more interesting with the media? Will he say more? Will he do more? What exactly that means for Kyle Dubas? Because we don't know the extent to which he is maybe pushed into a certain corner by his organization or by his boss. We don't know those things. I don't know if we're going to find out those things, 
But people aren't going to let this go. If there's something going on here between Shanahan and Dubas, we're going to learn more and more about it. Uh, and frankly, it's pretty fascinating because, again, as we framed it last year, Shanahan stepped up for his guy. He protected him. Dubas could have been on the outs, but Shanahan said no. And now we're learning maybe that's not like how it should be framed. It's certainly something to chew on as we head into round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs, but it is time for something else to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. This is like an extended A-list. Since we did the tarot card readings, I wanted to talk about this on the radio at some point. So somehow we're chewing on this tidbit. The Oakland Athletics have had a a pretty bad stretch here. Yet Last year, I don't remember if you remember this, but we used to rip on them quite often about their attendance and their stadium, et cetera. Low-hanging fruit. Well, they're kicking things off uh, to a new level. The visitor's broadcast booth is currently unable to be entered and used because there's a possum living inside the walls of the broadcast booth. There's photos of this fat possum. This did thing he, is a monster. Like, did he like purchase he is, property there? Yeah, like how, how does he, he lives there. How, how can they just not remove no, it? No, it's, it's disgusting. Possums, first of all, gross looking creatures. It is living in the broadcast booth and the opposing team's radio can't go in there. They have to do it from some alternate obstructed view. We have a announce. Uh, we have a clip from the Mets who were there playing in Oakland, and it's the Mets announcers explaining this fat possum and the situation it has caused in Oakland. When we came here last September, we were told the tale of the Ring Central Coliseum possum, who apparently makes a home. There's ball four and Guillermo is on. Makes a home in the visitors' TV booth. The Angels played here at the beginning of the season. They, they were the first team in, and Wayne Randazzo, okay. our friend, is now the television voice of the Angels, and he told us that in the opening game of the season, the possum, who apparently lives somewhere in the wall behind that visitor's TV booth, made an appearance during the game in their booth. <laughs> was it, like, nibbling at him, or...? It was just... You know, crawling around like like a cat, finding would. its own possum business, walking across the uh, the, the counter. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, he wasn't you know trying to horn in on the broadcast. He was just doing his possum things. What are possum things? I don't know, but I don't want to know. Do they not have animal services in Oakland? Like, how is this possible? How is it possible? Nice. I, I like. I don't understand how they can just like the legend of the possum. They just let it be. They just like, no, nah, the poor guys had to go do, radio do their broadcast this from another where booth lives. where there's like obstructed view. There's like a foul pole in front of their faces and they're trying to call a baseball game. Anyway, not here at the Rogers Center. Nope, it's possum free, apparently. They made sure in the renovations it was possum free. And if it wasn't, I feel like they would remove the possum. It said possum. Anyway, just Google Oakland possum and look at this thing. It needs a name. Send in the name for the possum. 590-590. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to do our playoff simulation afterwards filling out our brackets looking at a preview of all the series that are going to kick off either tonight or tomorrow maybe we start thinking of a new question to ask this tarot card deck because i can't just sign off on the radio today at eight fifty-five, knowing that that's what we left into the radio waves i don't know maybe we don't tempt fate here uh, I'm, be, I'm, I'm kind of torn on it here. Do we go I'm for redemption? Peer pressure from but then comments. We, we invalidate the cards, and I, you're right. I, I, I mean, that's. Do I want to tempt spirits? You're right. I don't. 
I don't want them to stick a possum on us. We might have to ask one more question. All right, and then we also have a giveaway for concert tickets. This one will be a very, very good one. A lot of the dads will be in on this one. Mm. My dad's listening. He's going to love these concert tickets. Tease okay. that. You'll have to listen to the next section of the Fan Morning Show, our playoff simulation, doing our brackets, and a giveaway for a concert coming at Bud Stage. That's next. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan. We're going to do a NHL bracket. I just created one on the internet, and I will tweet it out with Justin, and you can all join the bracket challenge. We'll send it out later. We're kind of that on the whim. We are going to be giving our picks now, though, so I guess you could fade us or tail us based on our prognostications here for the Stanley Cup playoffs, which begin tonight again. Twos and threes in the Western Conference, ones and fours in the Eastern Conference. Maple Leafs and Lightning start tomorrow. So I thought we were only doing round one. So I'm a little bit. You didn't have to admit that. Well, that's fine. You didn't have an idea. I am honest to listeners. I'm fully thought that we are doing round one picks. Apparently, we're picking the Stanley Cup champion today. So whatever happens is just a whim. Let's see where we go here. We got about you know we got um, about ten minutes. Maybe we won't be able to get through it, and we can kind of fill in the gaps as we go. Okay, so let's start on the east. East. But let's at least get through round one. Okay, so we got Boston and Florida. Boston is heavy, well, heavy-ish favorites to win Mm -hmm. this one. They're the best team in the NHL all season long. I see it obviously going that way too. Unfortunately, (laughs) for the matchup that might prevail, but. I like Boston in five. Yeah, I think Boston in five is probably the uh, consensus pick, it would feel like. Uh, There are a lot of guys, not a lot of guys. There are a few guys on Florida, a few really important guys that are having career years. Matthew Kachuk might get a Hart Trophy nomination, but there are so many guys on Boston having career seasons. They all outweigh the few that... The Florida Panthers are having, I cannot trust Alex Lyon. I cannot trust mm. that Brandon Brandon Montour is all of a sudden the best defenseman on that team. There's just not enough with the Florida Panthers. Kudos for them to getting or to them for getting in, uh, but they are not on the same level as the Boston Bruins. That is an easy pick. I will also do Bruins in five. Okay. So I'm just going to write these down for us. That was also Frank's pick. There you go. Both we're, of us with the same one. Frank. <laughs> Want to go to the other one for Hurricanes yeah, and skip. Islanders? <laughs> uh, we'll save the Leafs for last here. Uh, Hurricanes and Islanders. I'm going to be finding, I'm going to be looking for a spot to fade the Carolina Hurricanes at some point. Losing Svechnikov, losing Pacioretty, not addressing their clear needs, while well, they tried to at least, with Max Pacioretty, but they haven't because Max Pacioretty is not available. This team has shown time and time again that they hit a wall. And I think our broadcast did a great job when the Leafs and Hurricanes played, I think, last month, where, yeah, they dominate shot share and they dominate possession, but they're a team that has zero offensive zone time. So they're a team that go gets into the zone and shoots as quickly as possible. And I don't, I don't know if that's something that's sort of fudged the numbers a little bit. When you look at the Carolina hurricanes and just how good they are. Yes, they are very structured, very defensively oriented, but I think they have a hard ceiling. I'm just not fading them yet. Carolina is going to beat the New York Islanders. I'm going to say it's a longer series though. You think it goes six or seven? I think it goes six or seven. Like I'll, That's how I would fade them a bit. I'll say Carolina in six, but I am taking the Devils or Rangers over them no matter who it is. I know we have to bank a pick on that, but I, I just feel like Carolina has a pretty hard ceiling here. Carolina in six. It's kind of like what I 
I don't want to have all the same picks as you. It's but... fine. We got the same picks. Okay. Well, it's early on. I'm sure it'll fade. We're on the same page. Okay. Devils and Rangers. I think we're devils on the same page here too. I also have Devils and Seven. I want it to be Devils and Seven. So the... maybe it's just like a manifest situation, but hell yeah, I want to see the most of that series. Uh, interesting take for someone who bet on the New York Rangers preseason. Yeah, I'm that kind of over you. that. Um, the Rangers, I feel, can go to the Eastern Conference Final. I think it could. I think the most likely conference final, honestly, is the Rangers and the Boston Bruins. However, I think the Devils have enough enough speed and team speed to really disrupt what the Rangers can do. If the Rangers get that slow, methodical, sort of like half court offensive style play where they can just kind of lug it and play at their own pace. I think they're going to be in good shape, and I think that can work against Carolina. But I do think the speed at which the Devils play is a X factor in this series. I do think they're going to win in seven, and it would be sooner, I think, if it weren't for the clear uh, mismatching goal with Shesterkin and Vitek Vanacek, mm. I guess, going for the, the Devils. Like, I think Shesterkin's going to steal one game, but it's not enough to steal the series. Okay, that leaves us with the big question. Did the tarot cards... Change how you feel about the Maple Leafs Stanley Cup odds. Not for me. Leafs and six is the pick. Uh, they are so, so, so much better than they were last year. It is striking. If I've learned anything going back and watching, it's just, it's not about the lightning. It's not about where they are. It's about where the Leafs are. Their team is so much better. And I have all the confidence in the world that they are going to perform better. And what's that worth? Well, it should be worth more than one goal. And that's the difference between these two teams last year's in the series. Tampa is a worse team by far. Losing McDonough and Palat is a big deal. And I think the way that, the way that they have performed over the last couple months, it's not going to be easy to just flip the switch. They know how to be greasy and they know how to grind and they know how to take it. They know how to make, they know how to devolve hockey in certain ways when they need to do that. I just don't think it's going to be as effective this time around. I think Toronto is way better. And despite what the tarot cards say, I've got the Leafs in six. Leafs in five on home ice. Wow. It. I've been feeling it. I, I said this like a week ago. I just like had this. I don't know if I woke up and I said Leafs in five, or someone whispered it to me like through a tarot card reading. But I've said Leafs in five, and I'll die on that hill for now. <laughs> Let's go to the first round in the West. Okay. Let's start with Colorado and the Seattle Kraken. Interesting stance there from Frank because yeah. I'm seeing a diminished Colorado Same. team. Same. I was surprised he said in four. Yeah, like Carolina, I'm going to be looking to fade Colorado. Pretty soon, just again, not here. I, I think the Kraken are just a little bit ahead of schedule. But when you lose can, Nazem Kadri yeah. and Gabriel Landeskog and Kale McCarr is beat up and you got Alexander Georgiev in net, and I know hey, he's had a good season and he's Bulgarian like fringe Vesna, but no, no. Uh, I think this team is far worse and that's going to be worth something, just not against the Kraken. I'll say Colorado in six. Okay, that's I'm going Colorado in six too, but honestly. I wouldn't be surprised if you were looking for a little value, not to pick it upset, but maybe there's a way you you bet on the Kraken, like the spread or the amount of games, because this is seemingly a big heavy favorite, the Avs. But mm-hmm. I agree, they're like they're beat up. Yeah, the, there's a toll, right? And that's what's so special about the Lightning is that there seemingly was no toll, but for mm-hmm. normal teams in Colorado, proving to be a normal team, they didn't go crazy either at the deadline. Like they could have made their team a lot better. They chose not to. I wonder why. I, I feel like they should have been more incentivized to be better, but they're not as good as they were, and it, it should mean something in the Stanley Cup. Okay, playoffs. so Stars and Wild. Uh, I'm heavy, heavy, heavy on the Stars bandwagon. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple. We're, we're going to do some betting stuff, of course, at 8.30 in the wake and rake. I've got a couple longer shot bets on them. I think they are going to win 
the central division side of, of the bracket. I think they're going to beat the Wild in, in six games. Okay. The, so Wild, stars are, five. the Wild are competitive enough. They've got some serious injuries up the middle as well. But the Stars are just like, everywhere you look, there's not really a weakness there. Okay, Vegas and the Winnipeg Jets. Again, another number one seed I'm going to be looking to fade at some point, just not now. Vegas in five. I'll go Vegas in six. Uh, the Jets have been very, very perplexing all season. To me, I can't really get an accurate read on them. The Golden Knights, credit to them because Edmonton has been unbelievable over the last couple of months of the season. They still couldn't catch Vegas. So Vegas has been doing something right, but questions in goal, lack of star power, the same things apply that they've run into in previous seasons where they just don't have enough to score. Uh, eventually that's going to catch up to them, but just not against the Jets. So far we have no sweeps, which... Sweeps are tough to do. Yeah, but it happens every year. Okay, Oilers and Kings. I got Oilers in six. I got to go Oilers in seven. I guess we got all the Ooh. same picks today, um, at least in the first round. I am I was considering the Kings, but the Oilers have been undeniable the last mm-hmm. two months. Like, they should win. And the only reason why they shouldn't, same thing as the Leafs, where it's contacts, where it's like, you guys always blow your opportunity. But I think they turned a corner last year. Beating the Kings in the first round was massive because it was never promised to them. Uh, I think they're the far better team. And the only thing that really slow them down is the Oilers oilering and they haven't oilered in a while. So Edmonton in seven. Okay. Let's do it. You want to save some for the wake and rake or do you want to do it all no, right let's, now? Let's run through. Okay. Atlantic division. We've got the Bruins and the Maple Leafs in round two. I've got the Bruins in seven. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be the best series, maybe of the entire Stanley Cup playoffs, if it in fact happens. But I think the Bruins are a little bit better, and they have the nerve. They're a lot better. And as much as I don't know, I don't know if they're a lot better. They're better. I don't know if they're a lot better. I think the the gap is pretty tight. Um, but in the end, like the the who's going to feel more comfortable in a game seven? I think that's the difference in the game. And Boston never ever feels uncomfortable and they have all the reason in the world to be confident after an historic season. I think Boston edges them in a game seven. I'm going six. Sorry. Metropolitan division final. If you want to call it that we've got the hurricanes and the devils. Ooh, I've got the devils. Uh, as I mentioned in the first, yeah, first pick, it's, it's uh, eventually I'm looking for a spot. I think both these teams, I think these teams match up really well against each other. I just think there's more top end talent surprisingly so, with the New Jersey Devils. And I think that will mean something. I think Jack Hughes... I like the young, fiery Devils, for sure. They just have have a little bit more at the top end. And it's crazy because they had very little at the top end at this time last year. I'll go Devils in seven. Okay, so both of those series you have going to seven games. Mm -hmm. Now let's go to the other side. Um, Avs and Stars... Abs and stars. Ooh, I might go stars here. I've got the stars as well. Oh my we gosh. are filling out the same bracket. I got the stars in six games. I'll go stars in seven then. The stars just, again, I'm. Uh, this is what Peter DeBoer does. First year with the team, they go to the Stanley Cup final. Not saying that they will for sure, uh, but they have success. Mm-hmm. Um, Miro Heiskanen's a stud. Jake Ottinger is just a, a little preview. He will be on my Con Smythe ballot. Already 40 to one voting. Uh, I think, <laughs> no, it won't be. Uh, he's a stud and everywhere on that roster, there are studs. And I think they have enough depth this time to outlast Colorado. Okay. I'm going Oilers in seven in the next round against the Vegas Golden Knights. What do you have there? I got the Oilers in six. I think the Oilers are far better. I think the Oilers uh, will be shot out of a cannon if they mm-hmm. dispose of the, of the Kings, especially if they do it quickly and easily. 
Uh, Connor McDavid has another level that th- there's no chance the Vegas Golden Knights can match. There's not anyone on that team who does things even in the same vein as a McDavid or a Dreisaitl. There's too much talent on the Oilers to lose to the Vegas Golden Knights, in my opinion. So we both have the Oilers and the Bruins in the Stanley Cup final, and I have the Oilers hoisting the Stanley Cup with Connor McDavid. Do we have both the Oilers and the Bruins? Yeah. We're not, we haven't done the conference finals yet. We got Bruins and Devils Did, in oh, the sorry. conference final. Did you not say that? I will take the Bruins okay. to beat the Devils. Uh, I'll, I'll do it in six games, I suppose. Uh, what's your pick on that one? I'm sorry. I already said, um, I thought I said it my, myself, but I have Boston, I think, in seven. Okay. And Dallas and Edmonton, which is like flashbacks to my childhood, but Dallas-Edmonton Western Conference final. I said seven. Oilers in seven? Yeah. No, I have Boston in six, sorry, and Oilers in seven. Okay. I will do... The exact same, unfortunately. Okay, and then, but I have the Oilers winning. Wow, that's crazy. I'll take the Boston Bruins winning. All right, let's do it. There it is. Playoff simulation. All roads lead to the Bruins and the Edmonton Oilers. What could go wrong? That's pretty crazy that we had the same. Spend too much time together. Maybe so. All right. Uh, we will su- submit this to the internet, and you can join our bracket challenge, see what you guys have going throughout your predictions. We'll see how accurate we are. But that was a... Quick rip around of our simulation. Um, I teased it before we take a break here and talk to our guy, uh, Dave Andrzejczyk, who's joining us to kind of tee up how the lightning are feeling coming into this one. We're giving away tickets all week long to Blue Rodeo coming to Bud Stage on August 26th with special guests Wild Rivers and Rose Cousins. And we're giving away tickets today and the rest of the week to enter. Text in today's code word to 59590 after the rain. After the rain to 595.90 for your chance to win. We'll give away another pair of tickets tomorrow. If you don't win with us, make sure you go to Ticketmaster.ca on Friday at 10 a.m. That's Blue Rodeo Bud Stage, August 26th. Going to be a very popular text after the rain to 595.90. Code word after the rain. Yes. Alrighty. I think you put spaces between them after the rain. Yeah, let's see some spaces. All right. Um, best of luck for you all on that one. We're going to talk to Dave Anderchuk after the break, and we'll do a wake and rake. We'll take a preview at the odds for some of the series. You love your cons, my futures. And we'll take a look at how the RBC Heritage Open shook out. And I was very, very fortunate to come out unscathed. That's next. That's next.